your Bibles with you tonight and you want to turn there, we'll be taking some scripture out of the gospel according to Matthew in chapter 15. And, uh, you know, I've often said of this particular uh, chapter, you know, it's pretty action-packed and, uh, you know, all of Matthew's writings aren't exactly that way. Of course, Matthew wrote his gospel for the Jewish people to, to believe and to see that Jesus Christ uh, is, is their king. That's why that he starts the book out with a genealogy, you know, and traces the genealogy of Christ and everything. And then here in the chapter, in the 15th chapter, you know, we've got, uh, and we'll start reading it about verse 21 if you want to be finding that. And right immediately before that is when that, uh, you know, Jesus talks about defilement. And he talks about, you know, the, the Pharisees, they say, your disciples are eating without washing their hands. And of course, that uh, really has become more prevalent in today's society about hand washing and everything, where that uh, we had a pandemic that started a couple of years ago, and, uh, you know, that hand washing became more common and hand sanitizer and all this. You don't really go very far in this world now uh, without running into some hand sanitizer. We have some up here at the front, and we have some there in the back of the church. And, you know, that uh, Jesus, though, that he said that uh, it's not what goes into the person that defiles them before God. It's what, it's what comes out of them. It's, it's, you know, then, and he even gives a list, you know, and one of the things that he lists off is evil thoughts. Uh, and, 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 you know, I think about that a lot, you know, because there's lots of things that I might think uh, but don't actually say, you know. And there's been people said, I'd hate to hear uh, uh, your unfiltered thoughts. And I've often said, I'd hate for you to hear my unfiltered thoughts. Uh, uh, but you see, the thing is, is that uh, that's what defiles a person. But there's a way uh, uh, to train up ourselves to keep those things at bay and to keep those things in check. Uh, and when Jesus uh, listed off that list, and everything, he made it very plain uh, that if you want to be righteous, uh, you have to seek the kingdom of God. Uh, and then Matthew shifts gears uh, in the next verse, and it almost seems completely disconnected. Uh, one might be reading that and say, you know, there probably should have been another chapter start there. Maybe chapter 16 should have started right after that. Uh, but they are connected uh, because that what we're about to read about uh, is somebody now who's a following hard after Jesus. Jesus Christ, uh, seeking the kingdom of God, uh, uh, because I can tell you, if you're seeking the kingdom of God, uh, it's awful hard for evil thoughts to come in. Uh, when you're seeking the kingdom of God, uh, it's hard for worldly things to get in the way. Uh, but I tell you, it's well said uh, that idle hands do the devil's work. And so, uh, let's start reading in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 15. It says, Then Jesus went thence, and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Verse 22, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Uh, now you know uh, uh, that the way the world would look at this is they'd say, just so happened that Jesus ended up in Tyre and Sidon. Uh, that it just so uh, just came about uh, that he was there. Uh, but he actually had an appointment with this 
this woman. Now, if you don't rightly divide the word of truth, you'd say, well, seem to me like Jesus is being rather snobby with her because she comes out. But I can tell you this, she come out because she'd heard about him. She might have said, looked around, said, you know what? I can't go to where he's at. He hangs around Galilee. It's a long way for me to go. But Jesus made the trip to her. He come to where that she was. But then he didn't come all the way and knock on her door. But he was available and she had heard. And so she comes out. And she asks and doesn't really get anything. You ever done that? You ever prayed? And your prayer didn't get answered. It wasn't a yes, no, maybe, wait a while, or nothing. It was silence. Uh, and it says in verse 23, But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. Uh, she's aggravating. She won't shut up. She won't go away. Uh, and she kept uh, asking and seeking and knocking. Uh, and sometimes uh, uh, when our faith is truly demonstrated, uh, and she had faith or she wouldn't have been there, uh, she had faith because she'd heard about the things that he had done. Heard about the miracles and everything. And suddenly here he is and she says, I am not going to throw away this opportunity. I'm going to go get what I need for my child. And so she asked and he didn't say anything. She kept asking. Went after the disciples and was asking them. Now maybe Matthew didn't elaborate on this, but I feel very safe to say she wasn't going to take no for an answer. Now the disciples have stepped in and said, Jesus, we've told her to bug off. We've told her to beat it and she won't leave. Jesus, maybe if you tell her, no, get lost, hit the bricks, maybe then she'll go. And notice what it says in verse 24. But he answered, said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He tells her what a typical Pharisee would tell her. What are you even doing here? You're not one of us. You're not with us. And this is an opportunity. Now Jesus is not being snobby. But rather, he says this to the disciples and say, well, that's probably what I was going to tell her. You're no Jewish person. Get lost. You don't have any claim here. But you see, the Lord is available to all who would believe upon Him. I believe that she came in the spirit of Ruth when she said you know what your God's going to be my God I'm going to hang on I'll not quit until you run me off though he slay me yet shall I serve him and so she came and asked and Jesus gave her the textbook answer that a Pharisee would give and it was really just more of an opportunity for her to demonstrate her faith because it's not as though that Jesus didn't know what she would say but it was so that we here in 21st century United States of America could benefit from this Scripture. Don't you think for a second uh, when you read the Bible that it wasn't written to you. Uh, it needs to be a personal experience when you read the Scripture. Uh, and it means something to you here tonight. Uh, and he told her, look, uh, I've only been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, and then she answers an answer that I'm telling you it's the best possible answer. Now as a teacher... I can tell you I've asked a few questions. I've got these certain questions that I'll ask a classroom full of students every year. And often there's a certain one that I'll ask, and I'll not belabor you with it, that I'll ask them after teaching them a little bit that I've only ever had one student answer correctly. And I must say, trying to tamp down the pride a little bit, the one kid that answered it rightly was my own daughter. When I asked that question, 
Now, I had to push the peacock feathers down when she answered it right. And I had never given her the answer, never told her anything about it. But I'd taught her how to think about it. And a lot of times your faith resides in your attitude toward the Lord. That you've got to do a right kind of thinking. You see, when you're thinking right, those evil thoughts that I mentioned earlier, they can't come in. Because those evil thoughts will lead to murders and thefts and lasciviousness. And you see that when you get so somebody thinking a right, uh, then they'll do the right things and they'll have the right answer. Because he told her, look, saint for you. This good stuff's reserved for the lost sheep of Israel. But notice how she answered in verse 25. It said, then she came and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. She still won't give up. She still hangs on. And trust me, brothers and sisters, you need to hang on. Even when it seems like when somebody look at you and say, you know what, you ought to just curse God and die. You ought to just give up on that. Quit on all this foolishness. But I tell you, a lot of times when you're hanging on by your fingernails, that's when the world's about to see the power of the Lord demonstrated in your life. And you'll notice now He says... It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. The nation of Israel viewed the Gentiles as a bunch of dogs. They were worthless and useless to them. Now it wasn't like dogs we count it nowadays where they're a member of the family, but rather something to just be kind of run off. And Jesus told her, look, I'm not giving the best to you when it's reserved for the children of Israel. But now, notice what she says. She says in verse 27, and she said, Truth, Lord. She didn't say, Hey, now, wait a minute, that's not fair. Why are they? What makes them so special? The very same ones that he's telling us about are going to be the very same ones that take him and nail him to a cross. And she says, I don't dispute that. And she goes on and says, Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. You know what she did? She looked and said, I know you can do this and I know that it ain't really anything to you. It's not difficult for you. I know that you have the power uh, to heal these things. I know that you have but to speak the Word. This is one of the few times that Jesus marvels at somebody's faith. The other time was when a centurion, uh, Jesus was coming to his house to heal his servant and, and, and he'd sent some of the Pharisees and they'd said, now Jesus, this guy deserves for you to do this. He's good to us. He's nice to us. Uh, you know, almost like that the nation was indebted to him. And the centurion understood it better than they did and he told no don't tell him that he ain't got to come I'm not above him he sent another man and said Lord I know you don't even have to come to my house I know what authority is he said Jesus I know that you have but to speak the word and it'll happen and Jesus marveled at his faith and when this woman looked and said Jesus it's but crumbs it's a little thing. Her daughter was demon possessed, cast down by Satan, mind overthrown, really just in the grips. And I tell you, church, a lot of times we need to remember who it is when we pray that we're talking to. It's the God that is the high authority, it's the God that has the sovereign power, and he has but to speak the word, and it'll happen. And if you, if you forget that, 
You need to go all the way back into the book of Genesis and read uh, what happens when God speaks. When He said, let there be light, there was light. When He said, let the land be divided from the sea, that happened. When He said, let the earth bring forth herbs after its own kind, it happened. When He made man and formed him in His own image, He breathed life into him and made him a living soul. And you think that your problem is too big for God? You think that it's insurmountable? This woman, she looked and said, Now, my daughter being grievously vexed with the devil, her own words. And then she looked at Jesus and said, But I know this ain't hard for you. It's crumbs from the Master's table. When's the last time you've prayed for crumbs from the Master's table? And yet Jesus, in another place earlier in this same book, He said, Ask, seek, knock. He said, if you ask, it'll be given. You seek, and you'll find you knock, and it'll be open. And this woman, she didn't quit knocking. She didn't quit asking. She didn't quit seeking. That if you read in the 11th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, you'd find right after that Jesus tells the disciples, gives them an example of prayer, that then He begins to relate to them there is a reward in persistence. And that persistence is based in your faith. That you may look around. And you know... I've, I've had obstacles crop up in my life and a lot of times I think about a little shepherd boy who'd gone out to take his brother some food and check on him. Yeah. And Goliath comes out and he'd been doing it for days. And God sent David there. It just so happened according to men, but we know it was God's heavenly appointment sent him yeah. out. And David come out there. And now he asks, Who is this uncircumcised heathen Philistine that defames the name of the Most High God that speaks against him? And they ah, shut up, you little runt. Go back to the house and tend your sheep. You have no business here. And David told him, Look, there's a cause. Is anybody going to answer it? Nobody would. Until David said, I'll go. I'll fight against him because I know that there's a God in heaven. Uh, And he went out and you know that I've heard lots of sermons on when David went down to the stream and chose him out five smooth stones. And I've heard people speculate and I'll go ahead and tell you that compared to them, I guess I'm an intellectual pygmy when it comes to understanding. But I thought it was a lot more simple explanation than that. I believe David was a very practical man. There's a lot of times that people have said, you know, that uh, he selected them for several different reasons that I'll not go into. But I think he got five just because he said, you know, it probably won't take more than five to take him down. He didn't know how many it was going to take, but he knew God was going to do it. Now some have said, oh, it's for his brothers. I don't know. But I can tell you this, uh, that David went in faith believing. And this woman now, when she asked this of Jesus, uh, all she said was, now I know that it don't take much and I know that you can do it. It's but a few crumbs. And Lord, I'm going to put my trust in You because I can't win this battle. The same as King David, or the little shepherd boy David before he was ever a king. He said, this battle's not mine, God. It's in Your hands. I can't win it, but God... God, you can't. Everybody else looked at Goliath and said he's so big, we can't beat him. And David said he's so big, I can't miss. Oh, yeah. When he stepped out on that. And you see, a lot of times we, it may take more than asking once. When Elijah began to pray for the drought to be over and he sent his oh, servant. Yeah. First time he sent him nothing. 
Second time, nothing. It's very similar to Naaman when he went down into the river Jordan and the first time he dipped nothing and the second and just kept on until that it was enough until uh, that faith had been satisfied. Faith had been demonstrated. Uh, Do you demonstrate your faith before the Lord uh, that you may strengthen it? Uh, Because I can tell you a lot of times uh, we're operating at a low level of faith uh, when we should be a lot higher uh, because of what God has done in your life. Uh, But a lot of times we look around and say, well, this might be too much. Maybe I've asked for too much. Have you not heard about the God that you serve? His arm's not short. He's not slack concerning His promises. Uh, uh, that He is sovereign. He has all ability. Uh, and all might is His. Uh, there's no questioning of His understanding. When we pray, we need to remember who it is that we're talking to. Sometimes before we get down and pray when we have a need, we need to look around and say, God, I know that beside You, there is no other. You are the author and the finisher of my faith. And Lord, I know it don't take much faith to get something done. This woman had great faith. We've seen other examples in the New Testament where a person didn't have a whole lot of faith, but it was enough. And you'll notice now, she told him that. And then in the next verse, verse 28, it says, Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. He looked around and said, That's the kind of faith that you don't find just anywhere. She knew how to trust Him and trust in His authority. There's a reason in Psalm 91 that it says that He that dwelleth in the shadow of the Almighty shall abide in the secret place. And the Most High, they count on it. They depend on it. They're sure of it. And she was sure of what Jesus could do there. The disciples later now, they were on shaky ground through most of their careers. But when they met the resurrected Christ, they became sure, Brother Dennis. They quit waffling back and forth. Peter wasn't afraid of the Sanhedrin court anymore. He pointed his finger right in their face and said, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, it's His authority that I've come in that I receive healing, that I was able to heal that man. It's Him, and it's all on Him. Because you think about every time that the disciples failed, that a lot of times what He would do is He would look at them and He would say, where's your faith? Oh yeah. Where is it? And it wasn't as though that they didn't have faith of some kind. Everybody has faith of some kind. I was speaking with a professor at Marshall University who I'd gotten acquainted with. uh, And he said, all that faith business, he said, that's useless. And I said, absolutely not. You're wrong. And he said, how so? We were standing in the second floor of the science building at Marshall University. And I told him, I said, have you ever looked at the plans for this building? And he, he acted like I was absurd. And I said, so I'll take that as a no. And he said, no, I've never looked at it. Why would I do that? And I said, are you sure that the engineer did the math right? Are you sure that this building can hold up under all the weight of everything that's in it and all the people? Did you double check the math? Well, no, of course not. And I said, then you take it on faith that they did their job. That it's going to stand. 
Because I tell you, there's a measure of faith in everyone. But when it comes to God, people want to cast Him aside. And I tell you though, that where real faith is demonstrated is when that you look around and maybe you do have options, but you say, I will trust the Lord rather than trust in what man says, rather than trust in what this world has. But you'll say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Maybe you do have other options, but real faith is demonstrated in saying, yes, I've got wit, wisdom, and ability. And I'll do what I can, but I'll trust God when I fail. I'll trust God when I'm going to come up short. I'll do what I can and leave the rest up to Him. You see, because real faith is in learning how to trust the Lord. And a lot of times, you see, we look around and when we pray, and I've been guilty of this, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong because we're told to ask. But a lot of times we need to check and see if we're asking for the right things. Right. You see, because, and I learned a lesson years ago about that in, uh, when I was reading about Solomon when he became king. And I'm sure many of you know the story. It says that God came to him, manifested himself to him, and said, Ask whatever you will. And you imagine if God came to you and asked you that, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And Solomon looked around and he could have asked for long life. He could have asked to put his enemies under his feet. He could have asked for riches and all of these things. But he looked around and he said, you know what? He said, without wisdom, I won't succeed. And he said, I need wisdom, Lord, that I might judge your people. And when you really unpack that, what you find is that just a short while before Solomon came onto the scene, the nation of Israel said, uh, uh, we don't want a judge, uh, we want a king. Uh, and, and God told Samuel, who was the judge at the time, He said, Samuel, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me. And He said, give them their king. He said, we want to have a king just like everybody else around us. And yet then when Solomon asked for a wise and discerning heart uh, so that he could judge God's people, he said, Lord, uh, you've made me a king. Uh, Now make me a judge. Uh, Make me wise. Uh, And God looked at him and said, you, sir, have asked for the right thing. Uh, And he said, now I'm going to give you all that other stuff too that you thought about asking for. I'm going to give you long life. I'm going to make you the richest man that ever lived. Uh, I'm going to give you peace on all sides uh, because that he asked for the right thing. And he trusted in God to give it to him. This woman, what she asked for, she asked for the right thing and it was just crumbs. But crumbs from God's table, my, my, what a blessing. Crumbs from the Master's table uh, uh, that when we get down and pray and we're asking, uh, uh, we should know, God, I know uh, that this is not a big thing. It's big to me, uh, but it's not big to You. It's too heavy for me to lift, uh, but God, I know that You can pick it up and carry it for me. Uh, God, I know that You can take care of it. Because let's, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Honestly, if you really want to get how you probably appear before God, and I've done this in my own life, and I recommend it to anybody else, is just spend a little bit of time around a toddler. You ever notice that a toddler man now grabs something up and they're staggering because it's too heavy for them? Stumbling all over the place and falling on themselves. Here, let me pack that for you. No! I'll do it myself! I don't need you! And then sometimes we'll be staggering. 
and stumbling, struggling. And God will say, let me bless you, child. No! I'll do it myself. I don't need you. We're called to ask. We're called to depend on Him. Unlike that toddler, hopefully, if you raise him right, and that's been my MO as a parent the whole time, is to make sure that at some point they're not going to need me. Because if things proceed as God intends, there's going to come a point in their life when I ain't around to help them. And hopefully, if nothing else, though, that I've taught them to depend upon Him. And you see, but, but contrary to that, as a Christian... We're called to get more dependent on God as we go. Amen. Trust Him. That doesn't mean that our abilities diminish because they grow and they get bigger. But we learn better how to trust Him. And our faith, while it may start out as a grain of a mustard seed, it should grow. And if it's not growing, that's a sign that you're at best a weak Christian. And at worst, you're well on your way to getting off of the path and turning your back to the Lord. And this woman, now Jesus said, you have great faith. Because she looked around, she, she asked, she sought, she knocked, and she wouldn't quit. And Jesus said there's a reward for persistence. Oh yes. Meaning sometimes you're going to say, God, I ain't going to let go until you bless me. Yeah. You know how Jacob did there at Peniel? Oh yeah. <laughs> His hip was out of socket and he wouldn't turn loose. He said, God, I need a blessing and I'm not going to quit. God, whatever it takes, Lord, I want you to bless me. Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, if there's something between me and you, let it get out of my way, Lord, that I might be pleasing in your sight. Because this woman now, she was pleasing to the sight of the Lord because of her great faith. And it says now, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now Simon the sorcerer, if he'd seen that, and he was found in the book of the Acts, you know that he looked around and he did the same things that Peter and all them did. It didn't work because he didn't know the Most High God. That Jesus didn't come up to this woman's daughter and pop his fingers and get loosened up and everything and wave his hands about her, do all these things that magicians do or anything. All he said was, all right, Really, that's it? Yeah, that's it. Because a lot of times we find ourselves in the spirit of Naaman, don't we? You remember when he came and he had all the king's horses and all the king's men with him and he was coming to Elijah and he had gifts and all these things and Elijah sent Gehazi to him and said, just go dip seven times in the Jordan River. Didn't even see Elijah. He said, he don't need to see me, just tell him to go dip seven times in the Jordan River. And that's it. He looked around and said, what? But I, I, I had a speech ready. I had all these gifts I was going to give. I had all these things that I was going to do that's unnecessary. Just go, just keep your gifts. You don't need that. Your trip has showed your faith. You come all this way because you heard about a God in Israel. You've come all this way. You don't need to give gifts. You don't need to beat upon yourself or anything like that. Just go dip seven times in the Jordan River. And all that was was yet a small additional demonstration of his faith. Amen. Because faith that's not demonstrated, it's on shaky ground. Yes. And you see, sometimes our faith demonstrated is in our diligence to seek the Lord day and night. Oh, yeah. You know what that means? Have you considered what seeking the Lord day and night means? 
It means prayer often. Meaningful prayer often. It means studying this book because I'll go ahead and tell you that if I preach a long sermon, it might be an hour at the most. And if you're counting on all of your Bible to come from the time that you spend with me one or two days a week, you're getting shortchanged. You should be studying God's Word. That a reading Christian, studying the Bible, I can tell you, is a strong Christian who will not easily fall. And a praying Christian is a strong Christian who will not easily fall. And then somebody who fails not to come out to the house of the Lord. Those are three of the pillars of staying a Christian. I won't say that that saves a person because there's lots of people who are unsaved that know the Bible probably better than I do. That they've studied it diligently. There's other religions that maybe pray more often than what I do. They're praying to a dead God though. I'm praying to the living God. But I can tell you this, a Christian that don't pray and a Christian that don't come to church and a Christian that don't read their Bible, if they keep on that track, they won't be a Christian long because they'll start walking in slippery places and falling down. They'll have put their hand to the plow and they're looking back. And the kingdom is not fit for them. What it's fit for is somebody who says, I'm determined like this woman was to make it. Great faith. Faith that is growing and growing continually. The way that I, I've thought about it is kind of like, uh, and, and you've heard me mention this lots of times on the Sea of Galilee when that storm came and, and the disciples, you know, they trusted in themselves and failed and they trusted Jesus. He asked them, where's your faith? And then He calms the storm at the sea. And, and my mind, my imagination, now this is not in the Bible, but my imagination conjures an instance of one tether of them. Usually I think of Peter just because he seems to be front and center most of the time. Oh, yeah. Being back out on the Sea of Galilee and not with the physical form of Jesus there, but they're going along and a similar thing happens. And he just looks around and says, this don't scare me. <laughs> because see, when, when they were there before, they looked around and said, we can handle this. And they believed they can handle it. They had faith. There's faith in their self. That's why Jesus said, where is your faith? Because it was in their abilities. And then when they asked Him, they were putting their faith in Him because they looked at Him and said, Jesus, don't you care that this boat's going to sink? We, we can't bail the water out fast enough. Our arms are like rubber because we've bailed it out so much and, and we just, we're, we're going to die. And I don't think they were calm when they said it. I think they were panicky with tears running down their face. And then Jesus demonstrated that and then later on they looked around and said, this ain't nothing. This ain't no big deal. I know to trust the Lord. Whether I make it to the other side of the sea or whether I go to the bottom, I trust Him. And that's where faith is really demonstrated is when you look around and you say, I'll trust the Lord regardless of how this turns out. Whether it turns out what I would think would be good or some other way. Because a lot of times... Things don't turn out our way. A lot of times we end up having to do without. We miss out on things. I can tell you though, if we put our trust in the Lord, He'll also show us how to do without. Teach us how to cope. There was a a few years ago I heard a man talking about uh, these people that moved in next to an Amish family out in Amish country. 
They had their big moving van come in and they packed piece after piece of furniture and possession and all that. And the Amish fellow, you know, he'd come by there and was watching them, you know, said hello and introduced himself and said, uh, friend, it looks like you have a whole lot of possessions. He said, oh yeah, yeah, we, we, we've got a lot of stuff, you know, and really been wonderfully blessed and all this. And he said, well, friend, let me tell you something. He said, if you ever find yourself in a situation to where that you're needing more, he said, you come see me and I will show you what it's like to be able to do without. And a lot of times, you know, you would think, what? It'll make a bit of sense. But our contentment is in our ability to do without. And our ability to trust God that maybe we don't have it in hand, but if we need it, God will provide it. The widow from Zarephath, whenever Elijah come there, and he asked her, make me some food. What? She said, I was going to make the last little bit I had, and then me and my son were going to die. Because yeah. there was a drought in the land. Oh, yeah. And Elijah said, well, make some for me first. Right. Then make it for you. And said, through the rest of the drought, that every time she went back to that barrel, there was enough. Amen. It never ran over. It was never slapped full. Right. But every time she scraped the bottom of that barrel, it was there the next day. And don't you think for a second that she didn't learn to trust in that and look around and say, God has given me enough. I may not have a great abundance, but God gives me enough. And a lot of times we get worried when we don't have an abundance, but are we content with enough? That's really the demonstration of our faith. You know, because this is... If you're unaware of this, let me, let me remind you, trusting in the Lord is completely faith-based. Amen. And a lot of people, you know, I've looked around and I've, I've actually had people say, can you prove to me that Jesus Christ is who He said He was and that He died on the cross and rose again on the third day? And I've looked at Him and said, you better hope I can't. Uh-huh. What do you mean? And I said, because when the proof comes, that tells me that mercy has had its day. If you don't believe me, ask the people who perished in the flood. Oh, yes. They, everyone, believed at the end. And Jesus told of a time when that He would appear in the sky. He said, all would sing. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But at that point, mercy has had its day. And our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know that we trust Him for the things of this world. But more importantly, when this heart stops beating in my chest, that I know I'm going to trust Him, that He will lead me to the other side. That when I stand before the throne of God's judgment and the accusations begin to fly, that Jesus will roll in and say, I've paid it all. I trust Him in that. And if I trust Him in that with my very soul, which is eternal, I think I can trust Him for my daily bread. I think I can trust Him for my needs. And I can go ahead and tell you, He's given me a lot of what I wanted. And then He's also helped me to learn how to do without a lot of the things that I want because I shouldn't have wanted it to begin with. You know, if we were to all ask for God to make us millionaires, I can tell you this, God could do it. I had no doubt that would be crumbs from the Master's table. But He looks at us just like a parent looks at that little same little toddler I was talking about earlier and says, that wouldn't be good for you. Right. 
that would take you away from me, that would be harmful. Have you ever read the Ten Commandments and just looked at them and said, you know what? A lot, all these Ten Commandments are is God saying, don't hurt yourself. And here's how, here's how to live the best life. And yet a lot of times we say, but I want to steal stuff. Well, I've heard tell lots of people going and stealing something and getting killed for it. But I want to commit adultery. Same deal. People will pay and pay dearly. And all God is saying in all those commandments, it's all the same in the Old Testament. People love to take the most obscure commandment from the Old Testament and say, you mean to tell me, look, it was God telling a group of people, here's how to be healthy. Here's how to be happy. Here's how to trust in me. Here's how to draw nigh unto me that I might draw nigh unto you and to keep yourself holy uh, uh, that you may be able to stand before me uh, and be deemed righteous. Because you believed on my word. Because the children of Israel, you think about how they demonstrated their faith. They demonstrated their faith when they walked through the Red Sea, knowing, yes. not knowing whether or not it would stay parted the whole time. You know, there's a joke that I heard years ago, I think applies to this, that, you know, it, it, it's all about perspective, in which that it was that these two men were fishing on either side of a river. And they were talking back and forth and you know they would fish at night and holler back and forth and talk to each other and become good friends. And uh, one of them said, hey, so why don't you come over here to this side with me? He said, well, there's not a bridge for five or six miles. You know, I don't want to have to walk all the way down there. And the other one said, well, I tell you what. He said, I've got a good idea. He said, I've got a flashlight right here and I'll shine the beam across. And said, you just walk across on the beam of light. And the guy hollered, yeah, right. And he said, I know I'll get halfway and you'll turn the light off on me. <laughs> Wrong perspective. You know, a lot of times when we set out in faith believing the Lord, we need to remember His arm's not short. He's not going to run out. He's got enough. Uh, when Jesus sent the twelve out, He told them, don't worry about being provided for. God has it for you. Uh, uh, that in another point, He told them, look, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the sparrows in the air. God takes care of them. Can He not take care of you? Uh, and He can do that for your children and your grandchildren and all of your loved ones. And you've got to trust Him in that too. Because worry is the enemy of faith. Yes. And I can tell you, I'm a worrier. Not a warrior. Let, let me make sure I clarify that and enunciate. Worrier with an O. I try to be a warrior and fall flat on my face. Oh, yes. I, I'm a prayer warrior. And sometimes it works for me. Sometimes, though, I begin to doubt. And I begin to worry. Oh, yeah. And sometimes I have to stop and say, you know what, God, I know who you are. And I know that you're the master. Yeah. And all I'm asking for are crumbs. And I know that you have everything in hand. Because a lot of times when we start to worry, we'll look around and say, but God, I don't know if I deserve this. You ever been there? That's another little trick the devil likes to play. Oh, you're not worthy of this. No, you're not. You weren't worthy of salvation either. And he gives that to you. And that was the big thing. These other things are small compared to that. Yes. Trust him. He's trustworthy. He's never failed. Nothing that he has ever created has ended in calamity. Now, of course, the critic of the Bible would say, what about man? Well, man failed, but God picked him up. Yes. The way the Apostle Paul put it, he said that in Adam all died. 
but in Christ all shall live. Yes. If they come to Him in faith believing, and faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. This woman, the reason she come out to Jesus because she heard about Him. She said, He's the Son of David. He's the Son of the Most High God. I've heard about you, Jesus, and how that you touch blind eyes, how you've healed lame legs, unstopped deaf ears, that the, the dumb speak, the deaf hear, you cast out demons, and Jesus, that's what I need. I need some of that, and I know that it's just a crumb from your table. And then Jesus told her, you've got great faith. Don't you think for a second that she said, well, that's good, that's all I need. I'm not going to concern myself with this Jesus guy anymore. Jesus had an appointment. That's why He was there, was to see her so that her faith could be demonstrated. And then they'd look around and say, well, this is a Gentile. And have you ever noticed how this book starts? With a genealogy that features two women that are Gentiles in it. Rahab the harlot. Oh, yeah. And Ruth the Moabitess. And they both believed because of what they had heard. And this woman oh, yeah. believed because of what she had heard. All I'm asking you to do is trust in what this book says. And the shortest way that you, or the way you can sell yourself the most short is if you don't even know what's in this book. If you don't read it, you don't pray over it, you don't trust God, I can tell you, you are really selling yourself short. Right. It's just like working out, but only for, for your faith. You know, Paul, he said, exercise profits the body a little bit. It helps. But you know, this body, it's not meant to last. You know, I, I, I've heard lots of things. Mom, we recently had to buy her a new refrigerator a couple of years back. And how, how many years did you get out of that one, Mom? About 25, I think, the one before. It, was, it had lasted quite a while. You know, when you look around now, you say, they just ain't built to last. This old sinful body's just not built to last. Right. But you see, what efforts we put into building our faith that secures eternity for us. Because I think often about in the 24th chapter of this same book that it says many false prophets and many false Christs would arise. Oh, yes. And they would deceive the very elect if it were possible. You know why it won't be possible? Because they know the Word of God and they know the God of this Word and their faith is in Him and it's not in man. That's it. That's why you can't be deceived. The Holy Spirit... Jesus said He'd lead you into all truth. Amen. Church, I tell you tonight, you need to exercise your faith and exercising it. You're already doing part of it by being here. And the next couple of steps would be to read your Bible and to pray and to pray often yes. and to ask God to help increase your faith. Amen. You do that, that's money in the bank. I hope God has blessed you with this message. If anybody needs the altar, it's open.